count it a privilege to bring the word of God to us this evening. Let's open up in a word of prayer and then we'll get going. Dear God, we pray that as your word, your holy word, that you exalt above your name. Uh, Lord, as we open that up tonight, that we would get a glimpse into your will, into your purposes, and into your intentions for us here tonight, that we will live these things out to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One subject that I really love is the church. We call it ecclesiology. I love the subject. We actually went over it in our new members class this morning. And I love talking about it because there's so much to talk about. There's so much there for us to glean from in God's word on that subject. And I want to introduce you to a great church here tonight. It's a young church, and it's healthy in many ways. In fact, and I really say this with my whole heart, it is much like Fellowship Bible Church. I really see this church as a very, very healthy church. As personal testimony, I've been coming here for about 34 years, 32 years now. I see it as a very healthy church. In fact, I think it is probably the healthiest it's ever been in those 32 years. So when I bring up the subject, and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians in a minute, I need to say that we are not a whole lot different from that church. We have struggles. They had struggles, but... There's a lot of similarities. So we can look and learn a lot about this church here in Thessalonica. And they were doing so many things very well, very well, much like our church. But have you ever read Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus is writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor? And have you ever thought, what would he say to us if he wrote us a letter, would he commend us or would he condemn us? Now, that's a scary thought. Well, the good news is, I guess it's good news in a way, he's not going to write us a letter because we, we have the entirety of the canon of Scripture to determine what, what his evaluation of Fellowship Bible Church really is. And I want to look at this church, um, but before we do, let's... Let's just uh, get a little background, a glimpse of uh, who they are and uh, where they came from. Uh, Paul, the apostle, he planted this church on his second missionary journey uh, about 50 A.D., roughly. Luke records um, the situation of, of the planting of this church in Acts chapter 17, in the early, cha- in the early verses of Acts 17. Um, Paul preached there for three Sabbaths. He went to the synagogue, which was his custom. He preached there for three Sabbaths. Then he basically got kicked out of that city. Um, So he sent Timothy uh, back to check on them. And when Timothy came back and gave him a report of what was happening at that church, he wrote a letter from Corinth to encourage, to instruct, and to equip them in their relationship with Christ. It's one of the earliest writings in the New Testament, uh, preceded probably only by Galatians and James, but it's also probably the most personal letter. Paul usually begins most of his letters, his epistles, by, by encouraging, by giving thanks to that church. Uh, you don't see this in Galatia, right? 
In the book of Galatians, you don't see that he comes right out, as you've learned in Sunday school, with, with, uh, with guns blazing. And he says, how can you follow another gospel, which is really not another gospel. But in, in 1 Thessalonians, he gushes over this church. He loves this church. In fact, he calls them a model church. So we can glean much from this. <coughs> they, they're, they're a vital church. They, uh, they have the right attitudes, the right priorities. They really wanted to please God, and they lived out their faith, like we were talking about earlier, living by faith. What does that look like? Well, they actually did that. And we need to remember that we are members of this church. There's only two options. We can either bring the Lord glory through how we live our lives by faith through this church and live out about our faith that way, or we can bring shame to the name of Christ. And those are the only options we have. Now, uh, now before we dive into the text, I think it would be helpful for, for us to look at a quick survey of the commendations that Paul gives these people in Thessalonica. And when we look at these, and we're just going to look really at all five chapters super, super quickly, but uh, you know, ask yourself this, <clears throat> could Paul write the same commendation for us at Fellowship Bible Church? So follow along with me, and I'm just gonna—I'm not gonna read full verses. I'm just gonna read sections of verses, but you'll see the quality of this church really clearly as I go through these verses really quickly. First, in uh, one three, their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope—they were known for that work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. One six, they—they they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. They received the word in tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. One seven, you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. One eight, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith uh, toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Check that out. Isn't that amazing? Paul, the preacher of preachers, said, we don't even have to go out preaching. Your testimony and your, your faith has gone out, and we don't even have to say anything. Nine and ten of, of one. You turn to God from idols who serve a living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven. And these are all character qualities of this church. 2.13, when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. 2.14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings. I mean, what a church. 3.6, your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. They just had that mutual love. Uh, 3.9, for what th thanks uh, can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? So Paul is thanking God for this church, and he's just gushing with joy. 4.1, he says, you, you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk. 4.9, he says, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. I mean, we don't need to write to you about how to love one another and love God. You're, you're already doing a great job. 4.10, for indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. In Macedonia, five one. Now, as to the times in the 
epics, uh, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. So they knew the times in which they were living. And 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you are also doing. Boy, what a church. Wouldn't you have loved to go to this church? Wouldn't you have loved to be involved in such a church? What a reputation. Wouldn't you want to send, like Tim was saying, wouldn't you want to send somebody you're witnessing to at work or somebody you are discipling to this church? I mean, what a church. But with all those good things that are said about this church, <clears throat> the point that Paul is making, and we'll, we'll look at it in a minute, is <clears throat> their need for continued steadfastness. They didn't have a lot of improvement, like need for improvement in a lot of areas, but they were asked to be steadfast in a couple of areas, and we're going to look at that here tonight. But look at these two things. Uh, 4.1, I just want to look at these two passages. 4.1, how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do work. I mean walk, that you excel still more and more. So we already looked at a verse as a commendation, but he also says, okay, you are walking, you're pleasing God, but you need to excel still more and more. So that's one little hint of an area that he would like to see them improve on. And... Um, in 9 and 10 of chapter 4, he says, As through the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are, who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and more. So they were encouraged by Paul in this letter to excel more in how they lived out their faith <clears throat> and how they were to love and um, they actually had a great corporate testimony. See, one thing that we have to remember is people are watching us. We are a corporate body of believers, and while this church in Thessalonica had a great reputation, a great testimony to the watching world, there's always a risk <coughs> of us not having that, that great testimony to a watching world, and that's something we always have to keep an eye on. It was uh, Tertullian... Uh, he lived about 192 A.D., and this is a quote that he, um, he commented that the uh, pagans remark in amazement, behold how these Christians love one another. Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by the way you love one another, John 13. It makes a difference. So th they, they were encouraged to excel, at some things here. We're going to look at that tonight. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. These are instructions for, for all of us. I really think that we have done a great job, as I said earlier, okay, as a church. I think it's a healthy church here, Fellowship Bible Church. But we need to be careful never to rest on our laurels. We can never rest where we are right now because, you know, as Pastor Terry says a lot, that when things seem to be going well, Satan's just reloading. And we need to be careful of that. So there's two, two areas of admonition that Paul gives this church in, in chapter 5. And we're going to look at that. One is their ministry to their leaders and their ministry to one another. Now, when I was putting this together, I was thinking, boy, this sounds really self-serving, being one of the elders here. But don't take it that way. This is God's word, so... So take it from the Apostle Paul, not from me, okay? Or take it from God, I should say, more importantly. So let's read 
chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, and we're just going to cover this section of text tonight. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, and encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and be patient with all men. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. <coughs> so, the first big heading is the church's ministry to the leaders. It's rather convenient that our senior pastor is not here tonight, so we can talk about him in a way, in a good way, um, in ways that we can encourage him. So the question comes, how are we ministering to our shepherd? How is that going? Or shepherds, okay, plural. So he starts out in, in verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who, who diligently labor among you. Notice he says this, but we request of you, brethren. He doesn't say we request of you, leaders. He says, brethren, this is for the whole church. And we'll get to this a little later, but this uh, ministry that Paul wants us to look at is not just focused on the leaders or a special group of people. It's for all. And what does he say? How are we to minister to our leaders? He goes on to the first verb here is appreciate those. So we should appreciate those leaders. And the word means, the word appreciate means to recognize them. It doesn't say I know, if I saw Terry, I would know him. It goes much beyond that. It uh, means uh, don't take them for granted. The, the, the formal definition, and I think this is helpful, be care, by, by careful consideration, we are to come to a full understanding of their true character and their diligent labor. Some churches see their leaders as simply hired servants and go through them frequently. And, We've all heard of churches where they just hire and fire you know, constantly, and, and that's not the way it should be. We need to consider and to come to a full understanding of the character and the labor that the pastors are involved in. Why are we to appreciate them? Well, I kind of answered the question there. Because they diligently labor among you. They are diligent at that. And it's interesting. This word diligently labor used in secular Greek of, of a beating or weariness. It means to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion. <coughs> it, re it, it refers to the amount, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the effort, not the amount of the work. It refers to the effort. Um, and the first passage that came to mind is, I think the first uh, book that Pastor Terry preached on when he came here, I might be wrong, but it was Colossians, I believe. Chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 I found this, and I said, this is a great verse. It explains or pictures this. He says, we proclaim him. He says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also, I labor, means uh, to grow weary or tired or exhausted, striving, which means to enter a contest or contend in the gymnastic games, to contend with adversaries, to fight. We do these things according to his power, which mightily works within me. The role of the shepherd is exhausting. It's 24-7. And think about it. 
Satan would love to destroy that work. Your work, whatever it is, is not the focal point of Satan. Not your secular work, your job. My, you know, my work, where I work, you know, in a company in Lawrence, Massachusetts, is not something that Satan wants to destroy. He might want to destroy me, but he doesn't want to destroy the work I do necessarily for my company. But he is, he, he does have the target on the work of the shepherd here in the ministry of this church, of course. So first, we appreciate our leaders for their diligent labor, but also because of their position. Look at the verse, verse 12. <clears throat> and they have charge over you in the Lord. It means to stand before, it's the idea of leadership, to rule, to direct, be at the head of. It's a weighty role. I couldn't help but think of Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, shepherds have to give an account for the souls of the believers. What a, you know, the elders talk about this a lot. You know, uh, pretty much every meeting we have, we share Hebrews 13, 17. I think it's going to be a, you know, a plaque in Terry's office or something, but it just talks about the weightiness of the role that we have as elders. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I will just shudder thinking that I have to give an account for the sheep. That's a horrifying thought sometimes. You know why? Because we never feel like we're doing it in an adequate fashion. Never. We're never satisfied. You are never satisfied as a leader saying, ah, oh, well, I got that nailed, you know. Never, never. So we, you... You know, all of us are to appreciate the leaders for their diligent labor because they have charge over you in the Lord and also because they give you instruction, verse 12. It means to continually place in mind, to warn, to caution, to gently reprove, to exhort. You know, it often refers to calling attention to faults. It sounds so negative, doesn't it? But it includes reminding someone of what he has forgotten or might be in danger of forgetting. The only tool for this is the Word of God. We can't give our opinions. We have to focus on the Word of God and what that says. And remember, the, uh, the ultimate role of the pastor is to feed and lead, if you want to simplify it. In Titus 1.9, and you don't have to turn there, but I love this passage because it talks about the qualifications for an elder, and it looks at the negative and the positive in this one verse as to the role of the elder. That's why when we look for an elder here, we take it very seriously. We don't want an elder who doesn't know his Bible. We want somebody that you as a congregation look to and say, if I have a Bible question, if I have a life you know, question that I need to you know, ask someone about my faith or living out my faith or what the Bible says about something, I know I can go to that person or that person or that person. And so the word of God, handling the word of God is very serious for the elder. <clears throat> and that's why it's one of the qualifications here. And he says, uh, Paul is writing this to Titus. He says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able to both exhort the positive in sound doctrine and to refute the negative, those who contradict. The word refute there means to speak against, to stand, to contend for the faith. So... The elders, we give instruction, and that's why we are to be appreciated. The elders, the shepherd, the bishops, uh, you can call them the overseers, are to be appreciated 
because of their labor, because they, they stand before you and they have leadership, and because they give you instruction. Now, we are to appreciate them for the effort, their position, and their role. Then he goes on in verse 13, and we see what the result of this appreciation should be. What does the appreciation look like in a practical way? Okay, verse 13, he starts out, and that you esteem them very highly. We'll stop there. And it sounds like such a self-serving sermon when I'm preaching this. Yeah, think more of Pastor Terry, if you would, right now. <laughs> Paul is calling for the saints to make a conscious judgment of their leaders after a deliberate weighing of the facts. And the facts are that they labor diligently, even to the point of exhaustion. The point of exhaustion. And by the way, the present tense here calls for the flock to continually regard their leaders in a context to regard them in a good light. So it's not a one-time thing. Yeah, yeah, I thought highly of, of my chief shepherd, well, the pastor, and so I'm all set for a while. No, it's a continuous, you know, esteeming them highly. Picture is that of one leading his or her mind through a reasoning process to arrive at a conclusion. So we have to keep that in mind. That, that is what we're called to do. And I'm here to tell us tonight that this is our role, to esteem the shepherd of this local assembly. How do we do it and why do we do it? First, if you look under this title, it's we're supposed to do it in love. right? Those are the next two verses. In a spirit and an atmosphere of love. And I don't have a lot to say about that, but moving on, why are we to do this? Because of their work. And I want to touch on this for a few moments here. The shepherd has a very grave and serious work to do. Their work is kingdom work, the Lord's work. And like I said a few minutes ago, when I go to work, I don't necessarily, yeah, my life should be kingdom work, but my, my job that I go to is just, trust me, when I leave that office, I don't really think about my job. Uh, some of you might have to, and I feel bad for you, but when I leave my office, it's behind me. I, you know... It's in my rearview mirror, totally. But a shepherd's job is 24-7, 365. You go to sleep, you think about this person, that person, you minister all the time. It's kingdom work, the Lord's work. It's very, you know, I really believe that it's one of the most serious and difficult jobs on the planet. It carries eternal ramifications if you think about it. It's very serious. And because of that, it weighs very, very heavily on them. You talk to any pastor. They need encouragement. They need encouragement. Not, not just our pastor, but you know, all pastors need such encouragement. And you can find a way to encourage them because it is a very heavy weight that they carry for the kingdom. His role is not that of a CFO or a C CEO, but one of pleading with God's people to walk in the truth that he has taught. I'm reminded of the Apostle John when he says, I have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in the truth. If Pastor Terry were here, I think he would agree that, that was, that's the one verse that sums up the goal of his ministry, to see the sheep walking in the truth. I mean, how do you beat that? How do you top that, right? So that's why he labors and he works so diligently at it. That's a goal. And then... It's very interesting, very interesting little portion here. Then Paul goes on to say, live in peace with one another. What does that have to do with anything, Paul? Why are you bringing that up here? 
Live in peace with one another. This means to bind together that which has been separated. They were to submit to their leadership so that peace would prevail instead of divisions and uh, disorder. Now, Satan loves when there is dissension, disunity, division, and discord between the shepherd and the sheep. So keep that in mind. Satan wants a rift between leadership of the church and the people. And this is why it says this right here, live in peace with one another. This is the flow of the context here. It's the people and the shepherd. And we are to live in peace with one another. When you have something that you might disagree with or you hear something in a sermon that you don't agree with or you hear something, go to the leaders. Talk to the leaders. Talk to Pastor Terry. Talk to Russ. Talk to me. But make sure there is peace right between you and the elders or the shepherds. So these are the duties of the people to their God-appointed shepherd or shepherds so that God is glorified in his church. Next he goes on to this. So that right there is the role of the people to the shepherd or shepherds. <coughs> now he goes on to the role of the sheep to the sheep. And this is found in 14 and 15. We already read it, so I'm just going to take it in bite-sized pieces. Now there are three specific groups of people that, is, that, uh, that are addressed here. And I just think this will be very helpful for us to look at tonight. First, in verse 14, he says, we, we urge you, brethren, and I just want to point out once again that that is pointed to the congregation, to the sheep, not to the leaders only. Do not, and we talk about this in the new members class a lot, don't rely on the leaders to do everything. It's for you. It's for you. It's for everybody. To minister, to encourage, to build up the body. And a healthy church sees this duty of coming alongside as belonging to everybody. Think back to some churches maybe you've attended in the past that were different. (laughs) They weren't living out the truth of Scripture the way that you think it should have been lived out, and you probably, you could be right in your assessment of that. You probably saw some churches that you went to where the leaders were expected to do everything. In fact, some people are here and attending Fellowship Bible Church because personal knowledge here. I know they left churches that the elders and deacons were expected to do everything. That is not the intent of God. So it's very likely that in the midst of your living your church life here and body life here at Fellowship, you'll see three types of people. Those who need loving confrontation and warning, those who need encouragement, and those who need somebody to come alongside them. Think about it this way, and then we'll dive into the text. The fact that we are called to minister to different kinds of people strongly implies that you get to know all kinds of people. You can't just like, come to church, walk in the back door. I remember years ago, and I share this at every new members class I teach, and if you've been through you've probably heard this. I was at the dentist as probably a late, late teen. I think I was a brand-new believer at the time. And I remember sitting in the dental chair, and the hygienist said, yeah, well... Um, yeah, I go to this church, and I could name it, actually. I remember it years later. And it's great. It's a huge church, and I can sneak in the back door. I can sit and listen to the sermon, and I can sneak out, and nobody knows me, and, and I don't have anything to do with that church like the rest of the week. Like, she missed the point. She missed the point. That is not how 
the body life should work. So we're going to look at that. So you need to know one another to live out the one another's. Now, you won't know everybody at the same degree or the same level, and that's okay. I mean, it's not expected that you know everyone here in this church at the same level and degree. That's fine. But you do need to know some people have circles. I don't like to call them cliques, though. Be careful not to call them a clique. That's a bad word. But you are to know some people. And and once again, I have to say, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys do such an amazing job at this. I feel like a hypocrite teaching you guys this. But it's all... You know, like Paul wrote to his church, <clears throat> right? there's always room for improvement, <clears throat> that we excel more and more. So first, the first group are the unruly. They, okay, we are to admonish them. They are the ones who are out of line. They are disorderly, they are unruly, they are insubordinate, lazy, and idle. It's a military term meaning out of step or not fulfilling certain duties. <clears throat> Now, why would this be happening in the church at uh, Thessalonica? Well, I'll tell you why. It's not complicated. There were some people who were looking forward to the return of Christ, which you say, well, that's a good thing. We should be looking forward to the, the return of Christ. The bad part of it is they were so sure that the Lord was going to return any moment, they were sponging off others. They didn't do work. They, they didn't want to bear their burden and work and earn money and provide for their own family. So they were sponging off others in the church. So that's the context here. So Paul and the Lord call those people, they're unruly, they're out of line. And some people would say, well, they were holy, they were pious, they were waiting for the Lord to return. Yeah, but we don't know when he's going to return, so we have to keep our jobs and keep doing what we need to do. The word, uh, the word admonish here is nutheteo, describes... Um, and it sounds kind of funny when you define it, but it means putting sense into uh, someone's head. You say, man, I want to uh, smack some sense into that person's head, right? When you're driving down the highway and they cut you off. So Paul is here. You, you may need to speak some sense into some of the saints. It's expressing disapproval of their present conduct while at the same time you know, urging them to mend their ways. And I love Romans 15, 14. It seems like I've quoted it a lot lately. It says, the end of the verse says, you are able to admonish one another. And we, and we bring that up at a lot of uh, elders meetings lately because the point is you are able. It's written to the church at Rome, not written to the elders. It's written to the church. He says, you are able to, uh, to admonish, to build up, to warn uh, others. So you don't need a degree. You don't need to be a pastor. You are able. Okay. This is hard, though. Let's not fool ourselves. But maybe somebody has had to do that to us. So think about that. We were talking about the gospel this morning. Somebody gave us the gospel. We have to think about, okay, we need to pass that on. We touched on 2 Timothy 2.2 this morning, passing on the truth to somebody who is faithful, who can pass it on to somebody else, and it goes on. But we, we're to do the same. If there's a good chance we... We have been admonished. Now we need to look out for others. And it's all for the purpose of building up the body to glorify God. And these are painful conversations when you have to admonish the unruly. Nobody likes to do this. I mean, like if I ask for a show of hands, hey, who likes to admonish the unruly? Who likes to confront sin? Nobody likes to do that. But may I say this to you? 
you find the greatest joy in obeying God. That's where you find your joy. When you do even the hard things, and by the way, when you step out of your comfort zone, that's when you see God work. When you live in your little uh, comfy zone and you don't want to you know, step on anybody's toes, that's disobedience. If you see sin, if you see the beginning of sin and you love others like you should, then you will talk to those people. You need to do the hard things. That's what makes a church a healthy church. So number one is to admonish the unruly. Number two is encourage the faint-hearted. This is not the same group of people. This is the small-souled people, if you will. Sold means S-O-U-L-E-D. We're not talking about shoe sizes here. The small-souled. This, uh, this describes a person who feels their resources are too small for a given situation. They're easily discouraged. They don't feel adequate. They, they don't feel gifted. Uh, we would call them introverts. And the Bible says we're to help them find their place. The commentator Hebert, he uh, writes on this, and I think he makes a good point. These timid and discouraged individuals needed to be encouraged, cheered up, stimulated, and also helped along. They did not need to be rebuked and warned like the idol, right, the first group, but rather needed to be encouraged through the use of, of helpful words to, to continue the battle for the Lord. So they're not willfully sinning. They're just timid. They need encouragement. They need you to come alongside them and say, hey, how can I help? You know, there's a ministry over here, and I think you might fit in here. Try it out. So it's, so it's a gentle encouragement that they need. Now, within the context of the church here at Thessalonica, it could have been chapter 2, they were sensitive to criticism. Chapter 3, they, they might have been dreading the possibility of persecution. Or chapter 4, they may have been apprehensive about the future. So these are the kinds of people that we're talking about in this category. Um, so it's, it's like faint-heartedness. It's, it's, it's timidness. It's not having the confidence to step out in faith and serve. Every church will have some of these folks. This requires that you look, look around you and you get out of your little circle and look at others and see who might be off, you know, off to the side by themselves. See who's not serving Maybe they're relatively new. Maybe they're a new member. You know, this, this ministry, for any ministry, but I think this in particular, when we are here to, to encourage one another in the body, it takes time. And so plan on investing time for the kingdom this way. Look for others. Don't look for your friends at church. Oh, man, i got to run over to him and see, see how his business is going. I need to talk to this guy about this. Look for those who are sitting by themselves. Look for them who, they're not serving, but you think maybe they, they should do this ministry and encourage them, all right? So they're not the unruly, but they are the faint-hearted. And the third group, it says, help the weak. Who are the weak? Well, I'm glad you asked. They are deficient. They might be deficient as far as education or opportunities, finances, perhaps a physical problem which is, is more likely uh, what it might be, weaknesses of physical problems, they sometimes find it harder to do what's right because of their weaknesses. Um, 
the weak are likely also those who are suffering from temptations who might lap in, lapse into immorality. And, uh, it's, um, in chapter 4 of this book, he talks about this as to those who might fall into sexual temptations. So it could be a whole host of people. Um, and what are we uh, you know, to do for them? We are to help, to keep close to. And listen to this. The uh, primary sense is keeping oneself directly opposite to one another. It's like getting in their face, so to sustain them. It should be our lifestyle. It's a present imperative. It's a lifestyle that we should, we should be doing. Lay hold of the weak with the idea of, of supporting them. So those are the people that we need to be on the lookout for. We need to serve, serve in such a way that we can build up the body, encourage others so they can be a part of the ministry, serve and glorify God. Um, now, now, at the end of verse 14, the scope of the command broadens. He says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. So he said, be patient with the faint-hearted, the weak, and the unruly. Be patient. It's uh, long-suffering. It's bearing with them. What Paul is really saying here is be long-fused. Some people might just get your goat. They might say things. They might have a background you don't agree with. They might you know, have a whole host of things that may make it hard for you to bear patiently with them, to work with them, to encourage them. But he says, be patient with everyone. Be long-fused. And certainly that is not a characteristic of our culture. I mean, I go to the workplace, I do not see long-fused people. And then he goes on to say in 15, see that no one repays pays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all the people. See to it. The sheep's role is to be careful, to be on your guard, to make sure that relationships are right in the church. And isn't that amazing? The burden in this uh, passage here in First Thessalonians 5 is not on the leaders, like I said before, it's on the people. So he says, see to it that you, the sheep, we all the sheep, we're, and we're all sheep, but not, not the leaders only are to be careful to be on our guard to make sure the relationships are right in the church. It's up to every one of us. And instead of keeping records of wrongs that are done against you, you actively pursue, we, we're actively to pursue what is best for others around you. All right, believers first, and then unbelievers too. So, um, and we know that 1 Corinthians 13 says not to keep uh, the records of wrongs that we often do. So why does, why does all this matter? Why, why does God care so much about these relationships in the church? We are Christ's body. Think about it that way. I mean, have you thought about it that way? We are Christ's body. We are doing his work. We are his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece. We are doing what he would do if he were here physically with us. And we have his Holy Spirit now to do that work. Christ wants his church to be a healthy, functioning church where his love is on display to a watching world. Unbelievers, your coworkers, neighbors are watching us. They are watching what believers do, how they live, how they get along, like that quote by Tertullian in the early church. You know, and often, and can I say this, and this wasn't in my notes, I just thought of this, but I think it's key, I think it's critical that when you are blessed by this church and the assembling and the fellowship that goes on, 
the Deacon's Fund. We love giving that out to people. I think it would be a shame not to brag about God's goodness of what he's doing through this church. In fact, I think it's wrong not to. In the Old Testament, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When we see evidences of God's faithfulness and goodness to us, how can we keep it to ourselves? The world is dying for the truth. They're dying for answers. They don't know where to go for their answers. They, they are just in shock when they hear, your church does that. Your church pays mortgages. I know we've done this in the past. We've paid a mortgage for a few months. We have done all kinds of things. We, we worked on a house in Candia, New Hampshire, not too long ago. Brag about the goodness of the Lord in this place. That, that is our role. I really do. If we keep it to ourselves, you know, all that says to me is that we're ashamed of the gospel. We need to brag that God is faithful and he provides for his own. And that's what body life should look like. So we go back to chapter 1 and 2 to sum it up. 1 and 2 really explain how this can actually happen. And it comes down to your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If your focus is not on Christ, you won't be able to do this. But steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ is what makes this happen. And the other thing I thought of is, do we long to become imitators of Paul, but primarily of the Lord? We need to imitate. We need to mimic him. We need to mimic the Lord he says that over and over again. Ephesians says that in other places too. Um, we, we need to be imitators of Paul and of the Lord. If we don't long to be like the Lord, then we're not going to be able to live the body life out as we should be living it out. So how are we doing? How are we doing? Personally, I think we're doing a great job, but Paul says except, he says he wants us to excel still more and more. You know, never be satisfied with where we are. You know, this weekend was an incredible, incredible illustration to me about the beauty of this place, the beauty of the fellowship and the ministry that goes on here. Man, I saw so much go on yesterday, and I couldn't—I just couldn't help but stop thanking the people who were doing the ministry. I mean, what a testimony that was. In fact, people came up to me afterwards and commented on that. So, so Christ wants steadfastness and endurance by his Spirit. I think the question to ask as we close is, is God glorified in our lives and in the life of this church? Why or why not? And what can we do better? We certainly want to glorify him. So let's go to God in prayer as we close. Dear Father, this is your church, and you you gave your son to, to pay for the sins of your people so we could function as a healthy body of believers. And what a testimony that is to people who are watching, who don't have that anchor, who don't have that hope, who don't have that structure. Lord, as unbelievers, they don't have that community of believers that where people are praying for one another and encouraging one another and helping them uh, physically and financially. Uh, Lord, what a testimony of your grace. May we always seek to excel yet more and more because we need to glorify you. That is our goal. So we pray this through Christ alone. Amen.